It's episode 80 of Honestly Unbalanced and we're doing something we never normally do and that is chatting to a guest for the second time. This guest is Mia Togo who is a transformational life coach and senior yoga teacher who's taught retreats, workshops and more around the world. She teaches yoga because of the lessons that it has taught her. Through heartbreak and loss, she's learnt to live and love from a place of acceptance and honesty, a lesson that's valuable for all of us. In her own yoga journey, she's travelled into the labyrinths of her centre and back out again, bringing with her the gift of courage and greater compassion for human frailty. We're actually going to be teaching a 200-hour yoga training with Mia Togo. Uh, so it's going to be Mia Togo, Michael James Wong and myself teaching a week intensive in London in May, followed by some online stuff, both live and pre-recorded, and then a week in Spain in September. If you're interested in that, go to 200hourtraining.com. That's 200hrtraining.com uh, or via my website or Mia's website to find out more about that. In this wonderful episode, we'll talk about setting the seeds of intentions. You'll learn questions to ask yourself and trying to dig deeper into finding your deep-rooted why. We'll talk about finding the best 200-hour teacher training for you, whether yoga teachers should or shouldn't use music in class, why you should research the teachers that you're going to learn from, and why the words truth and love resonate more for me than light and love, and a little bit about Mia's book that she's going to be writing, culminating her 30 years of work, with the working title, All Vibes Welcome. As always, we have some perks for you. If you want to improve your foot strength, you know, bear in mind most of us spend a lot of our life walking around with shoes that squash our toes together on artificially flat surfaces. So if you want to wake your feet up, try the Vivo Barefoot Code Adam Hustler VB, that's A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R-V-B, all caps, will get you 10% off anything from their website. And if you want some pretty cool clothes to match with your flash new shoes, then check out Colourful Standard. Code Hustler, H-U-S-L-E-R-10, will give you 10% off their clothing that is super kind to the planet, in naturally lots of colours, and uh, that, well, what I love most about it is there's no branding. There's no branding on it at all. So you can buy awesomely comfortable tracksuits and they'll never go out of fashion. They're just cool and timeless. And then finally, two more little perks. As always, code HUSLER, H-U-S-L-A-R, all caps, gets 10% off Lifeform yoga mats. And if you want to join us for yoga or sound, head to thehustlers.com, the, T-H-E-H-U-S-L-E-R-S, thehustlers.com, and use code HONEST25 to get, all caps again, 25% off any single month membership on our website or a single 12 months membership on our website. I'll let you enjoy the episode now. Honestly unbalanced. Mia, we're recording this at the beginning of the new year. And I guess for a lot of people, it's a time of trying to make significant change. And when people make change, they let go of stuff as well, which can be a hard process. And you spoke about this a little bit 
on your Instagram recently? Because, of course, you're not only an amazing yoga teacher with a scene experience, you are, would you call it a life coach as well? Is life coach the right mm-hmm. term? Yeah. Life coach? I would say transformational life coach, yes. Transformational life coach. So yeah. what would, could you speak to that a little bit about the new year and changes? Are you making any changes yourself or how would you guide people through significant change? And it, I guess significant loss into when people make change? That's such a great question. And I've always pushed back a little bit of the New Year's resolution thing. I, I did it years. And it, look, it works for some people. And like people like to set goals. It's not my thing. It's not my jam. Um, I also think there's something to factor into the time of the year because when we're going, we're in winter and there's mm. the honoring of going into a new year, but honoring going into, like you said, something new or change. You also have to honor the loss and the death. And I don't mean necessarily the literal death, but it's like what we practice in yoga and Shavasana. And you know, as a teacher, you both know, like a lot of people don't like Shavasana or if they can, they'll leave or mm. <laughs> you've done some funny skits on Shavasana, <laughs> which I love, or, you know, <laughs> um, because it requires the part of us that has to shed. And, and that shedding and that letting go is oftentimes identity, personality, and some of the things that have kept us in these patterns of of living life and when you let go of something that has held you in a certain way even though it's something you may not want specifically or is holding you back it still requires this sense of of loss and i'm going to even say grief Mm -hmm. i don't think as a culture world culture we do grief well Mm -hmm. and it is something that we must experience as uh, living in this planet so change I think it's always important to honor the ritual of loss and letting go and dare I say grief so that we can compost it and birth something new. So setting resolutions can be a great idea and affirmations. I love all of that. But if we want something and we want to change something that's deeply rooted, sometimes we have to uproot our old systems that live within us and that we've internalized. And that is a deeper call. So for me, New Year's is in the winter time, and winter is more going inward and contraction. So I think there's something about setting, that's why I love intention, setting seeds of intention, but not being married and attached to a goal. Because oftentimes when you're uprooting those systems and setting those intentions, you may have to be more fluid. And parts of yourself that may have to die off are going to be uncomfortable while the new part is blossoming. And I don't really think that happens until you know, it, it, it takes time. It's not an overnight process. Cause I've seen a lot of people um, get frustrated or their goals and their resolutions last for, you know, like a, a month and then it's like back to square one. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I just think it's important to have the authentic conversation of deep change that oftentimes we want requires the discomfort of being, I say this in my work, a lot of times we want to be the butterfly, but we don't want to be the chrysalis. We don't want to be in a goopy mess of transformation. Mm-hmm. And that requires transformation. And if you cut that chrysalis open before the butterfly is ready, it's just a big goopy mess. So we got to be in the goop sometimes longer than we want to be. You and mentioned that. there something to do with grief. And I just wondered, you, you said we, we don't deal with grief. Since moving to the UK, do you notice that Brits perhaps deal with grief a little bit less well in that we have that stiff upper lip <laughs> and we just kind of put our head in the sand and close <laughs> off our emotions and just get on with it. I guess there's, there's good and bad things about that getting on with it, but have you noticed a cultural <laughs> difference in the UK? That's inter- I, I wouldn't say specifically around grief because I don't feel like I have enough experience. Um, and I do have some clients that are here in, in London and, and in the UK and they're wonderful clients and 
they, they're very open to change, but I guess <laughs> they're not going to work with me if, if they're not open to that. What I, I guess culturally what I would notice some difference perhaps is because I grew up in California, look, and it's like super progressive parents. My mom was 12 years older than my dad. So they were always like in the space of being open and talking about things. And I know in the UK, that's not as normal. I mean, I don't want to say normal as, um, uh, what's the word? Like, well, you said like stiff upper lip, like mm -hmm. sometimes you don't talk about certain things and that's not appropriate. And that's understandable because I really recognize the cultural differences. Um, but I think being in the wellness of the yoga space, I've been more exposed to people who are open. So I don't know if I have a accurate representation. Uh, and I was just in California. So it, I have, to, well, there's something that I did notice when I was in California. People are more apt to be friendly. There's that <laughs> in LA, but it's also, I come from Santa Monica, which is like, we call it the West side bubble. And it truly is the West side bubble. People are a little bit more like it's sunny and people have their green drinks and saying hi to each other. In London, you know, you come back, I just came back and it's January in London and it's dark and wet yeah. and it's just a different climate. So energetically it's going to, without not like a judgment good bad right or wrong it's just it's just different so it's been a really great experience for me to hold my energy and what i value and not personalize or project it onto other people like this is how it should be because that's not this is my lived experience and these are other people's lived experiences and that's such sometimes hard work as human beings to remember to keep that separation and that understanding and it's been such a great education for me too. Mm. So talking about the New Year's resolutions, if say someone was on here listening and they thought, oh, I've never heard it put like that before. You know, I always make resolutions and by February I've completely fallen flat on my face and given up on all of them. So if someone is now tempted to do that inner work and think, oh, okay, there's some deep changes I need to make here. Where would you suggest that the beginner starts? That's a, that's a great question. And I think the beginner starts with, What's the, I know this sounds a little woo-woo and I, the energy, because I work with people who are, you know, in, in banking. So I use sometimes the word energy, I use the word tone. Yes. <laughs> what's, the, I like, what's the tone? Because everything is relationship, whether it's work or it's family or it's friends or it's lovers, it's everything is a great mirror. So mm -hmm. what, what do you want to see or like what energetic tone or signature do you want to change in, in your relationships? Mm -hmm. And Sometimes it's like to be kinder or to be more patient or, you know, it could be if my resolution. I'm going to use one that's just the old narrative, yeah. especially as women. It's like, I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm. Okay, so there's that. But we have to get to a deeper systemic part. Why do you want to lose 10 pounds? And what is it about your body that you are not liking? And is it more than just the physicality? What kind of emotional connection do you have? And are you in relationship and embodying you know, what you feel or are you pushing it down? Like, so I would say you have to go into the layers of the energetic signature behind the resolution that mm. you want. You know, not just the thing, but a deeper rooted capacity of how you want to hold that. Mm. I don't know if that sounds too, no, that that makes sense. Sense. Too, too much, but not at all. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's not just the thing, because it's great. It's like, I have this goal. I don't know. I want to make a million dollars mm. or a billion dollars. <laughs> okay, but what's, what's the what's driving you to want to make that million dollars what's the root cause force behind that this, that this mm -hmm. is kind of my issue when you hear people say what's your 10-year goal 
what's your like objective 10 year goal and i want this title i want to live in a house that is worth x amount of money and bringing this much money year year Uh, with Mm -hmm. my mentees i actually do a task instead of not what's what your goal is but what life do you want to be living at that point is there a dog that runs in to lick your face every morning? <laughs> do you wake up at nine o'clock? Do you have a child that, you, that you're walking to school or drive? Like, what does your life look like? And then everything else should fit around that rather than what objective surface level success do you seem to have? I love that, Adam, because I think you're saying it, the, the same thing that I'm saying in my own way too, is like, you have to go inside out. And, and I think if your 10-year goal is an outside picture, yeah, you can have, I don't know, the big house and the even the dog and the what, but are you really happy? Mm. And are yeah. you connected? And are you feeling a sense of, of, of peace and contentment and joy? Because you would have all those things. I, and I'm sure you know, you've seen it out in the world that there's a lot of people that have those things that people are aspiring to, but it does not by any means, it can but always give them the real sense of deep connection and purpose mm. that most people really want from the inside out. So instead of going out in, it's like, okay, these are the things that would be nice to have, but going and going in out, how do I want to show up in this dynamic or in this 10 years from now, how do I want to be living in a way that gives me a sense of, that's when to go with the energetic signature mm-hmm. of purpose of meaning of joy. And maybe it is in this big fancy house, or maybe it's in a two bedroom house by the sea. And in 10 years, we change so much. That's why hard goals are so, sometimes so linear. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're brought up in this world as very like, there's this linear process. You get on this track and you fit in the box. And to me, yoga keeps teaching us, not only think outside the box, break the box down and like mm-hmm. find your own way. And if you're truly on your own hero's journey of finding your own way, you're going to fall down. You're going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. And that is part of the the fucking beauty of it, mm-hmm. you know, of being messy and, and imperfect. Would, yeah. What would you say there is, I'm playing devil's advocate slightly here, in okay. that I fully appreciate and acknowledge that you need to constantly explore what is right for you and you should allow things to change over time. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if you really want to go deep and be very good at something or have an expertise in an area or want a deep, meaningful relationship, you need to just invest time in it and be with it in the long term. And I like almost put all of your eggs in one basket and watch that basket to some degree. And it's it's a hard mm-hmm. balance to find. Like, let's talk about relationship, relationships for a second. So t- to really get that beautiful connection with someone, you know, you need to be with them a long time. And then you get something beautiful that you could never have found. And yes, you could jump in bed with a million different people and you could marry a different person every year and have that excitement but you never get that deep meaningful thing if you followed your whims and just actually this year i want to marry a brunette oh yeah this year Oi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> okay i i see where you're going with this and i <laughs> i appreciate that um, what I'm talking about is definitely commitment and consistency. I am 100% a believer of you have to commit and be consistent with something in order for the fruits of you know your intention, your labor, and all of that. So it's not it's not about being whimsical. It's about trusting yourself in your intuition and your inner guidance. We're we're very conditioned to look outside of ourselves. I think actually looking outside of yourself for whatever the external sources of happiness and and um, uh, meaning, I, 
is something that would put you on that whimsical mode. It's like, I need this thing. I need, it's like, I'm always looking out here, grasping for these things to give me a sense of meaning and purpose. Where when you go inside out, when you're going in and checking in daily, it's like, what's, what's my inner guidance? Where's my inner truth? What am I needing to listen to today? That is commitment and consistency to your internal guidance. And that will lead you in the direction of, uh, of your heart. And if your heart is with this person, then even when it's hard or even when they're confronting you or even when you're like, fuck this, this is just like so overwhelming, you stay because you know that it's mirroring something back about your own journey and your own process. You don't give up on it. You give up maybe and you give over control or um, power over power under and all the stuff that deep, meaningful relationships teach us, with, with, with whoever they're with. Um, they're such a great reflection. So it's the commitment, the consistency to be present with the discomfort. I'm not saying it's comfortable. Mm. I think real change, it's the first conversation I have with any potential client. How willing, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? This isn't just talk therapy. Talk therapy is great, but it's going to make you look at some truths about how you're showing up for yourself and how you're showing up in relationships. We all have blind spots. So it's the commitment and the consistency to unpack our own blind spots to really be in deep integrated relationship that is that is union. I mean, that's yoga, really, that's union. Mm -hmm. So I think the more that you're committed to going inside out, the more you're committed to doing the deep inner work to be in relationship with authentic truth. Mm. Mia, you say a great quote on your website, which is love and light is some bullshit. Truth and love <laughs> is where it's at. So I'd love to know, at what point did you start turning yourself inside out, as it were? and realize that you know love life is not about love and light but it's about wholeness as you say mm. it's funny i just changed that recently and i was a little like ah but that's but it's my is what i believe I because it. the wellness world is so full of love and light and spiritual bypassing i know that's a very popular term right now but i've been saying this one for like 20 years <laughs> because my background in psychology and coaching and therapy happened before I stepped into the yoga space. And I was a dancer back in the day, a professional dancer. So when I stepped into the yoga space, I wasn't there to do, learn choreography and look cute in my yoga clothes. I was there <laughs> to, not that I don't like cute yoga clothes, <laughs> but to, to have the deeper work, the inner reflection, the change that when I was breathing on my mat, it wasn't, if I'm, commit, if, if I'm not committed to looking at my dark, places and I mean the shadow and the unconscious I can't change the narrative and so the the light the love and light means well yeah we 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 want to love the truth as much as we love the light mm -hmm. and the truth sometimes has those dark shadowy spaces that need our awareness and our understanding and our conscious exploration because there's so much wisdom there I remember Years ago, I was leading a retreat in Tulum with a good friend of mine, uh, Patty Quintero. And we went down into the cenotes, or these underwater caverns. And this one was on private Mayan land. So it was very, the, there was no public there. Mm. And there were thousands, if not millions of years old. I don't even remember for exactly. But before we went down, the, the, the man who was leading us brought a shaman. He's like, I want to make sure we do this kapal cleansing. And, and the shaman took us down into the underbelly of the 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 cenotes we were under there for like five hours it's just beautiful and we turned all the lights off and we sat in the dark and it was so magical and he said you know we're taught to believe that the dark is something to be afraid of he's like 
we come from the dark. We are born from the dark. If you want to birth something new, you have to be able to sit in your own darkness. And it was just like this wow. moment. I could feel it. I could see it. And it was so beautiful. Um, so that's why I'm not a light in love. The truth also resides in the dark because mm -hmm. that's where we birth new things and how we love each other and how we love ourselves. I love that so much. In terms of the discomfort that happens in a yoga class, I think this is kind of related to that. We had a guest on uh, a few weeks ago called Mark Walsh, who's an mm -hmm. kind of a leading embodiment coach. And he talked about there's two ways in which you could approach yoga. You can kind of treat a class as a holiday where you want fun and happiness and you know there's music playing and it's nothing wrong with that. But it's mm -hmm. a fun, nice experience. Or you can treat it like a school where you're going there to be educated and learn about something or yourself. And he's not a yoga teacher, but I guess he, he compared that to yoga and, and other things. But I really love that mm -hmm. analogy of choosing a school or entertainment mm -hmm. and you can't choose both at the same time. You could do some classes that are fun and some classes that are about education, but you can't really do both at the same time. And I, I'm personally a big fan of discomfort. And a big a big aim of each pose is to provide discomfort that you're keeping a steady breath and a steady mind despite. So could you talk about how you make your students uncomfortable, I guess? In, yeah. in, 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 <laughs> I talk about feelings and emotions. That's way more uncomfortable than physical. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah, I mean, I come from, you know, as you know, yoga works in the US, which is a school that was established in 1987. It's a great school and it's had an influence over yoga all over the world. And what I loved about it, because I had tried yoga different places and I was like, meh, meh, it just didn't, didn't resonate. But I loved what the style of yoga that they were teaching, which is kind of a, it's kind of a blend, the yoga work style is a blend of Ashtanga and Iyengar, where you have the flow and the sun salutations, but you also have the long holds of the Iyengar and the um, alignment based part. But what was sprinkled in there were the teachings of Desikachar, which is, he was, you know, the, the son of Krishnamacharya who brought yoga more to the West and more of the teachings, the philosophical teachings. So we're moving, we're breathing, we're, we're feeling the heat, but we're also holding. And then the philosophy is being sprinkled in. So, okay, what's being stirred up and what's being, like, it's okay, it's okay to feel all your feelings and emotions as they come up because they're not necessarily the truth, but they are gauges. They are indicators of something down in the system that are needing attunement at that moment. So I'm gonna go back to what your um, guest had said. I think you can have both and I think I'm going to be, I'm just going to push back a little bit. I think it's a very masculine way of seeing the world. It's either this or this. I'm like, that's probably <laughs> because your idea of fun and kind of what you're saying can have some discomfort and can have the flow and can have the music, but also the discomfort of, for a lot of people is sitting with themselves. It's not even the physical discomfort of the pose. Like for me, I was an athlete. I'm like, I'm fine with some physical discomfort, but the discomfort that really gets people is staying and breathing and feeling sometimes where you have anger or hurt or trauma that starts to bubble to the surface. And that's a part of us that unless we heal that, we aren't gonna be in fucking integration. I mean, that's just how I see yoga. It's because how I came into it from my angle. Um, so I hear you, like I've been to classes where it's just like super loud music and handstands and blah, 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 which is fine. Um, I find that's, I would call that beginner yoga. <laughs> More advanced yoga is, when you can move and breathe and be present with what you're feeling and not get away from the sensation, but to be sensitive enough to tune in and that may be happiness and joy, or it may be 
um, tenderness and hurt. It may, it may be all of these things because we're not black and white. We are such a spectrum of mm-hmm. colors and emotions and lived experiences. That's where I think intersectionality is so important to name and yoga. Whether you're a man, you're a woman, you're gay, you're straight, you're trans, you're, you know, you're biracial, you're, you're a person of color. Like it's, you're going to bring your history into mm-hmm. the room. And I think as yoga teachers, it's so important to remember that kind of sensitivity that my lived experience is different than yours. I'm creating the space for you to feel and process what you need to. But it's so important, I think, as a teacher to be able to facilitate that, to do your own inner work, or you ain't going to be able to facilitate it. It'll just be a sales pitch. Mm. Leah, I would love to know your view on music in a class, because I know that you play music (laughs) personally, and me and Adam differ on this opinion. You don't play music anymore, do you? And I love uh, practicing to music and Adam you think that it sort of can take away from the experience well, of going inside so I'd love to know what, what you think about that do you want to say okay. why let me just give, give some context to that okay so I've Debate. gone through lots of stages of music like m- pretty much music led classes where I spent more time making a playlist <laughs> than actually planning the class uh, and my v- my view is personally if I wanted to meditate I would not play music. I'd have a quiet room and a quiet space. For me, in a sense, you know, yoga is a form of self-inquiry. And mm-hmm. just like I wouldn't play music in meditation, I increasingly think actually playing music in yoga can potentially be another distraction. For some people, they need it to be in the space. But for me personally, the more there is music playing, the more I'm distracted, the, more, the less I'm able to encounter what's going on inside me, especially if there's lyrics. And so like, I've actually been... Always on trainings, I never play music. Normally on retreats, I don't. But I've been, I've succumbed to the will of the people and for commercial (laughs) reasons, played music in public classes for most of my time teaching public classes. Kind of for some people, they need it. Just classical. But then over the last few weeks, I've been like, actually, no, I'm going to stick to my principles and not play it. Like last night, actually, I said at the end, this is actually your old class at Tri Yoga. Yeah. Is, uh, and I, yeah. I, I said Aww. to them, like, I'm not playing music and you might not like that, but see how it makes you feel, blah, blah, blah. Then at the end, I said, just give me your feedback. I explained a little bit what I've just said now. So guys, yeah. just tell me what you think. And a few people said, actually, I preferred it without music. I, to be fair, some I guess the people that didn't like it probably just thought, I'm not going to say it, I'm going to walk out. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't like a representative anonymous survey. But yeah, that's context to my view uh, on, on okay. music. Go. I so hear you. I remember years ago when I went through teacher training and I was teaching, I remember a very senior teacher said to me, she's like, you're a really good teacher. You do not need to play music. And I was like, I'm not playing music because I know I'm a good teacher. I'm a seasoned teacher. Um, I don't play music because it's, it's hard. I don't spend hours playing, making playlists. I also recognize that it's not for everybody, but I'm not for everybody. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, I teach in the way that I teach. There's a way I sequence. I do externals before neutrals, typically uh, talk to your rotation and the, the femur and the hip socket. I don't go back and forth because it, it wears out the labrum of the hip socket. I've been practicing for 30 years. I've seen what happens, but I also see that for a lot of people, music allows them to feel their bodies. We, so many people are not taught to connect to what they're feeling in their bodies. We're taught to control it, to shut it down, to, you know, just make almost like forcefulness. And for a lot of people, when you have music, there's space to feel. And if the lyrics and the, the quality of the music 
pull up a feeling. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that or it's bringing up this sensation. I'm like, no, if it's bringing up a sensation, be curious about that sensation. We're meant to be curious about the sensations that, that come up. This is where I feel for me, the transformational part of yoga is not just doing the physical, because asana is the third limb on the eight limbs and obviously meditation is the seventh limb. If you don't know the eight limbs, the meditation is the seventh limb. The eighth limb is samadhi, it's union. And so of course in meditation, I'm playing music, no, but in the third limb of asana, where it gets us to be in our bodies, I'm not controlling or conquering my body, I'm connecting. And if I pause and this music brings up a feeling, I'm gonna be curious about that feeling because it's something I need to be in relationship with. This to me is what embodiment is. Can I, can I ask a follow-up question? I, I love this conversation. And, yes, and I, don't, I don't think there is a right answer. And my view there is isn't. that students should go to multiple teachers that offer something different. I think every yoga student should have three or four teachers that offer something different. You know, one mm-hmm. teacher that lets you flow is called music and handstands. Another teacher that lets you that does Dharma talks whilst teaching yin, whatever. I, I think everyone should have a mix of teachers. My question there is, so your, the view is that music, yes, can connect you to an emotion, but I've seen teachers, you know, use like play a 60 minute Adele playlist. And of course, is that manipulating people's emotions? Because if you if you play 60 minutes of Adele's breakup songs, that's probably gonna make you think about a break when actually you didn't need that. You wanted an inquiry and something else. You kind of forced the direction of the body. And you know, how far is it away from having Shawshank Redemption playing on a TV screen in the corner in a yoga class? Uh, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, but, I, I, yeah, but I've seen teachers manipulate students' emotions through the use of certain music. Intentionally. That's the teacher. That, that's again getting to the root. That's a teacher problem. If mm. they're trying to manipulate their students, and they need to look at their own relationship with their own personal power, and why are they doing that? If they're doing a minute, sixty minutes, what I I do choose music that has it, it kind of has an expansion and a contraction. It'll have more of like an upbeat, and it'll go very inward. And at the like, there's a reason. There's a way that I choose music just so that it has um, a spectrum of different. Uh, feeling and tone some of it's instrumental some of it's not I'm not trying to use it to manipulate people it's just creating a space that has something for everybody in their own way but it's also there is that part where it's going to come from my personal taste I don't play pop music I don't really play a lot of pop music Um, I play music some I do some but mostly it's it's things you're not going to hear on on the radio Um, and and that's there's a great yeah I guess it's probably quite nice because people don't have a pre-existing relationship with it, which is probably quite nice. Yeah, yeah I mean, some of it is, I mean, I'll, well, I'll play some Coldplay or, I'll, mm-hmm. you know, I'll play some some things that people do have a relationship, but it's not like I'm playing, I don't know, the mo- I, I'm not a poppy music person, so it's not pop music kind of um, music. And I do love, you know, more, sometimes I put in yoga, more yoga inspired music, if you will. Mm. This, yeah, I guess this leads us nicely on to the fact that we're going to be teaching a 200-hour training together with Michael yeah. James Wong as well. So three different teachers, but I think really complementary. So the, uh, you've taught countless 200-hour trainings over the years. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the question there is, how, what, what, when you're teaching 200-hour training, are you teaching an absolute style of yoga? And how, how do you kind of give students a firmness in what they're teaching and, you know, to, to they feel confidence, but also say to them, there are other ways to teach yoga as well. How, do, how have you tried, got that across to students? 
Uh, well, I, I do want to say when I do a 200-hour training, I, there's no music involved. I never play music in trainings. It is very much about, this is education. This is you're going to school. And a 200-hour to me is the nuts and bolts training. You will get the nuts and bolts of how to teach alignment and asana, but also sequencing and, so, and philosophy. But there's only so much that you can um, transmit in a 200-hour training. And I think it's really important to give a foundational uh, education to, even if you would teach, or even if you've been taking practice, I was practicing like eight, I don't know, eight or nine years before I took a, a training. I was like, oh, I, I was never like, oh, I'm gonna be a yoga teacher. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a yoga teacher. <laughs> it was just, it was a call and it was a call I turned down. And finally, when I was like, oh, I'm gonna take this. So when I went through that training, I really appreciated the repetition. You need a lot of repetition, You lots of repetition, because it needs to go in different doors. Some people are more kinesthetic, some people are auditory, some people visual. So I really try to bring in that teaching in different ways. Um, and I do feel like alignment. I know there's a lot of discourse these days about alignment doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, actually it does. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, but, and, and at the same time, it needs to be modified or shifted for different bodies in different ways, of course. But, you know, there's certain fundamentals. When you reach your arm overhead, your shoulder, you know, scapulohumeral rhythm, your scapula goes in upward rotation with your humerus because the head of the humerus, your arm bone inserts into your scapula. Like that's just true for everybody. So we need to be able to talk about that. I see so many people who do not understand that fundamental basic thing in teachers who are even teaching out there. I'm like, you need to know that. So we're going to cover fundamental foundational things because I've also seen a lot of people hurt themselves because they get shoulder impingement because they do not understand the fundamentals of shoulder flexion, reaching your arms overhead and down dog. And then they're doing handstand all wackadoodled. <laughs> so I think it's so important to break things down to those really base component parts. When you say you, you had a calling that you ignored, then you've listened to that calling. Mm -hmm. how, how have you found like other people have come to trainings? What's What's a motivation for people to do a 200 hour training? I found a lot of different reasons. Some people are like, I really want to be a yoga teacher. And some people are like, I'm curious. I want to deepen my practice. I've had qu quite a few people in the past, because I've led many trainings in Los Angeles for Yoga Works, 200 hour trainings. So are like, I want to do this because I'm curious. I want, to, I, I want to spend some time understanding some of the philosophy and the sequencing. That's one thing in the training. I know we'll be, we have different styles. Um, but I do, there's a certain kind of sequencing that I really, it's not set in stone, but there's a direction that you move the body. And so there's a peak pose and, you know, there, there is that because I've seen the people who've gotten hurt. I've been in this long enough and the people who haven't. And I've also seen on Instagram, the ones that show you all the fancy poses, then you don't see them all bandaged up afterwards mm. behind the scenes. Like that's real. That just don't believe what you see on social because I'm in it for the long run and I'm in it for the truth. And the truth is everybody needs something different. And there's also the fundamental truth that our bodies are, you know, we have a certain skeletal system that is similar. So I think that if you're being called to take this training, listen to that call, even if you're feeling uh, for me too, I was like, no, no, no. I felt a lot of no's, but there was a moment where I was like, I just am being called to this because I want to deepen my practice. It wasn't even necessarily to be a teacher. And then it led into me being a teacher. So there's a lot of reasons deep in your practice, being curious, wanting to be a teacher. Um, and maybe you've done another training and you want to do this training because it's going to give you a different 
set of tools and skills. And I think the, the benefit and the gift of three teachers from different, different backgrounds, you'll get a different set of skills that you may not have had before. I think the beauty of the three teachers is, as I said, we're all complementary. And although we have slightly different views, I think actually we're teaching the same thing with just different language. I think it's very much the same thing with just maybe slightly different method at times or a different way to describe it. And I think that's, you, you mentioned that people sometimes do two teacher trainings. And I think when, when someone decides they want to do a teacher training, you know, often I hear people say, I want to do a training in Rishikesh or I want to do a training in Goa. And their focus is the location of the training. And, the, and the, the reality is that anyone can teach a training anywhere. I can go and teach a training in Rishikesh. It doesn't make it more authentic. It just means that I'm not in London. So I think what's I think the most important thing for anyone, whether they decide to do our training or not, is to look at who is teaching the curriculum. Research them, research their background, research their lineage, get an idea of their classes, really feel who they are and what their experience is. Unless you are just doing it because you want an intense experience in a lovely country that is just a little bit more expensive than a yoga retreat. <laughs> in which case, do a training wherever you want in the world. <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that because I had a lot of people do my trainings or yoga works trainings when I was doing them in Los Angeles who had done other trainings who did exactly that. They went to some exotic location, which is great. It was beautiful, but they just didn't get the education they needed. I, I actually, somebody I know recently did a training. She's because it was in a beautiful place. She's like, I'm going to do this training. She didn't necessarily want to be a yoga teacher, but I just wanted to do this training in this location. And it was a bit of a shit show, to be honest. I mean, she came back, she's like, the boundaries with the teacher and the location, it was just, oh, she, yeah, the whole thing. And she said, I don't really learn that. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that's what happens, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to, if you want to become a teacher, you, it doesn't matter where you are. You need to focus on the quality of the teaching and the quality of the education that you're going to be getting. And that's one thing I've taught in many trainings and I have so many yoga teachers that I've mentored and who are really thriving in different ways in their, um, in their teaching and how they're transmitting that wisdom. And a 200 hour training is the foundation. You, you need to do a lot of training after that. I mean, you need to do advanced trainings, I believe. Uh, it's, it's the foundation from which you grow. Yeah. So you want a strong foundation. And I think, I personally think you only really work out the kind of teacher you wanna be after you've taught like a thousand classes. Because I think you, oh, yeah. you you get your foundational training, you you first then see if you even like teaching yoga, which you might not. Are you vaguely competent at it? Do you enjoy it? Then you know, as I I went through the journey of set sequences, then very music led, then kind of a stage of look at me and look what I can do, but you can't do it, kind of teaching, <laughs> and and then and then a stage of actually what I teach now alignment focus. So actually, I waited mm -hmm. to do my three hundred hour until I'd really established the kind of teacher I thought I wanted to be. Yeah, uh, it, it's true. It's like you, you go through different stages of development and how you share your voice. And, and it depends, depends you know, what, where you are in the development of your own personal life, too. And like you said, you, <laughs> you know, the music and then it's like, look what I can do. And they're like, oh, no, that's, I've shifted. And we, we do shift. And I think when I came into becoming a teacher, I had done a lot of shifting and I've still shifted as I became a teacher but when I did start teaching pretty quickly I think my background as a dancer I knew I could I really understood anatomy well and I loved that part of it uh, and I also had the philosophy and the psychology background so that was kind of the, that's really for me 
where the transformation happens. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I bring into my trainings. I, I bring in that other stuff, but to me, that's, I've gone through many deaths and rebirths in a life, in, in this lifetime. And to really embody that change and own the wisdom, my yoga practice has been uh, so much about the philosophy and the psychology part of it. Can we talk a little bit about the fact that you are now writing a book? Yes, exciting. Oh, Plug away. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm in process. And part of me was like, do I want to talk about doing it? But I've been in process this past year. Um, it's called All Vibes Welcome. That's a working title. I don't know if we'll end up with that. Perfect. Uh, and I'm really, really proud. It, it is sort of a culmination of 30 years of work, if not more. And All Vibes Welcome, kind of going back to the light and love. It's like the good vibes only thing. No. There's no bad vibes. Bad vibes are misunderstood. And when we push away things we don't understand, we don't grow and learn. And I think living through what we've been living through the last couple of years with, with the pandemic, it's uprooted so much um, nice pain and trauma for people and reevaluating their lives. And we, we are in a deeper conversation of how we welcome ourselves and how we welcome each other. And I know when, by the time I leave this planet, we're going to still be in transformation, but I feel like we're in a really transformational time and it's, and it, it is uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable um, when we have to deal with vibes that we don't like, or we've been told, you know, shut them down, push that away, you know, have this perfect image and all of that stuff. And that's why it could be very harmful. And at least one of the fundamental tenets of yoga is ahimsa, non-harming. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at where we create harm to ourselves and satya with truth. That's why I'm, go- I'm such a truth person. Because the truth, <laughs> Gloria Steinem said, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Um, so the book is, it's happening. It's a lot of it's written. I'm in a developmental edit right now, and I'm really excited to. Uh, it. What I love about it is I'm putting it out there. I don't know when it'll be out in the world. It may be a year, it may be 10 years, but I know that it will be put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's me letting go of the attachment to certainty and every day going this this is i feel like the book has been written and just transmitting it mm-hmm. right now and, and how else can people connect with you because is it, you've got this other program going on haven't you so is it kind of you you do one-to-one work but this program is mm-hmm. kind of group work but the same kind yeah. of theme how, what, what's that look like what's that called well not everybody has access to individual coaching and i started it during it was in 2020 it was called coming home to wholeness because way back in the day I used to do uh, like a group coaching thing I would go to once a week with Mona and it was so wonderful and transformational to be in a space where there was safety and people could share and um, be seen and to see each other so coming home to wholeness is an eight-week program that I, I've done a couple times it was awesome and I'm launching it again on March I think the first day is March 19th so it's it's we meet once a week on zoom it's i think it's five to six thirty here in london which means in pacific time it's nine in the morning and there's a theme for each week and then you get a drop in of information and material and exercises and there's a whatsapp group so we hold each other accountable and it's an eight-week journey and the idea is we go through these different steps and layers of unpacking and sometimes unlearning things that we have learned about uh, our wholeness that are maybe uh, obstacles to our real deeper connection. Mm-hmm. And we do it in a way that in communities so people can speak to each other. On, I, I do uh, breakout rooms where people can have support with each other and then we come back to the to the big room. So what I think most people came away from it on both times. One person did it twice because it was so transformational, but wow. it's a really wow. beautiful, beautiful journey mm-hmm. of we're deeply understanding mm-hmm 
ourselves in a like-minded community where there's safety and space to explore. And just before we wrap up, I'd love to sort of loop back around to the beginning, because in your Instagram story this morning, you said you don't want to set resolutions, but you really want to be guided by your inner guidance and your heart. So I guess the question is, what's your heart asking you to do for yourself this year? That's such a great question. I love that, Holly, because there was there was a thing going around like, what's a word? What's a word? And the yoga works did this whole thing. I'm like, well, my word is expansion. Mm. I feel like I'm an expansion and I've been an expansion before, but I also wanted to say that I'm also needing contraction. Like even this week, I got back from LA and I I was going to come back next week. And I was like, oh, I could go back to work. I could see clients. I was like, no, we're not doing any of that. I'm taking this week mm. to be in contraction. I could financially afford to do that. I've, you know, just fortunately, because I know not everybody can do that. It's important to name that. Um, but it's, I'm in contraction. I'm in inward reflection. I'm in recalibration. And so I think this year is, I know it's going to be, I feel the expansion coming, Mm. but I think this is the gift of yoga is also like we were talking about before Adam is like, yes, you do have to have structures and systems in place to support you. It's not like we are just checking every day. Mm. No, you have to have structures and systems, but you also need to update those structures and systems because sometimes they are not supporting or not. That's what I've done supporting my growth. So I've you know, some dismantled, torn down, <laughs> rebuilt some of these structures and systems. And I think right now there's some decluttering and recalibration so that the expansion as it comes, I'm going to feel held and supported from the inside out. I think that's sure. a nice way to finish you. Yeah, we won't do our quick fires. No, I think we need a change on that. <laughs> but what, 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 we, what we would like to ask, so just remind people where they can find you in terms of Instagram, website, etc. I'm super easy. It's my name, Mia Togo, T-O-G-O, like to go, <laughs> .com. I used to hate that as a kid. But I'm like, it works. MiaTogo.com um, is my website and my Instagram is Mia Togo. I have a Facebook account. I don't check it, so don't go there. I do. <laughs> I, one thing I've come to, my boundaries are I don't do a lot of, I could do one social media and it's Instagram for me. I don't do Twitter anymore. I don't do Facebook. So that's. Mm-hmm. yeah I like to be streamlined mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the 200 hour training you can find via your website or just yes. 200 hour training.com as in 200 com. you can find the information that starts with a, a London intensive in May some online components and a Spain intensive as well uh, and Michael Mia and myself we all teach a try yoga I think on a Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday evening you can find one of us teaching at try yoga comes in <laughs> <laughs> exactly indeed Lovely. and I am starting a new studio too um, this week oh no next week Love Supreme Projects and that's West London isn't it yeah West London so I'll be teaching Wednesday at 6.15 at night and then Friday morning at 9.30 uh, at Love Supreme Projects in addition to my try yoga camping class Monday night amazing awesome thank you so much thank it's a pleasure to chat Oh, you're so welcome. It's always a pleasure to see you both in the chat. I love it. Thank you.